welcome to the Global Band Room, a podcast that brings you stories, news and great guests from across the world of wind, brass and marching band. My name is Keith Kelly and I'm a band director and musician from the west coast of Ireland. Each episode I sit down with band musicians and directors from across the world to talk about their stories, their bands, the lessons they've been given and the lessons that they give and how they're making an impact on their bands and communities. Before we start, you can find out more about the podcast and the people and stories that we feature over at bandsofireland.com forward slash the global band room. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at the global band room. And now on with the show. Welcome back to the Global Band Room. My name is Keith Kelly. Uh, later on in this episode, we're going to be introducing a new segment to the show, which is going to focus on music and health, music therapy, health and well-being. And it's going to feature my friend and music therapist, Jessica Harris. Uh, we had a really good introduction to music therapy and talking about the history of music and well-being. Um, so it's really worth listening to after our uh, guest today. Now, my guest today is Key Polan. He is a, a composer and arranger working uh, predominantly in the marching band and drum corps world. And uh, he is a really interesting guest. I really enjoyed having a chat with him. Uh, so that's going to be coming uh, very shortly in a few moments after we touch, touch on some news. Now, the Lone Star Wind Orchestra's project, River Shannon, is going to be premiered tomorrow, Friday, the 15th of May. Uh, for anyone that's new to the podcast, this is a project that the uh, Lone Star Wind Orchestra have been inviting musicians from across the world to come together to perform a new piece of music that they uh, commissioned with Julie Giroux. And the piece of music was called River Shannon. So there's that nice Irish uh, uh, link for myself and for the podcast and for bands of Ireland as well. Uh, so if you're not already liking the page Lone Star Wind Orchestra or for their youth group, the Lone Star Wind Youth Winds, uh, head over and like those pages. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what this one sounds like tomorrow. And hopefully over the next couple of weeks, we'll have Julie and Andrew Traxel from Lone Star onto the podcast and we can have a, a good chat about the piece of music and all the work that's gone into producing this. Now, Con Selmer is running its Con Selmer Institute Connect this year, and uh, it's an opportunity for people across the world to watch these online seminars and masterclasses with some of the best band people from around uh, the US. Uh, Tim Latzenhauser, Richard Sosado, Larry Livingston, as well as many, many other great music educators are going to be taking part in that. Registration is open. That's going to be on June 8th and 9th, and you can register up until that date. Right now at the moment, the fee is $129, so it's worth getting over there and er registering early for that. And next Monday, uh, as part of the interview, I'm going to be talking to Randy Greenwell, who is one of the education consultants with Con Selmer. And we're going to be talking all about Con Selmer Connect and his work with Drum Corps and with uh, Bands of America as well. So if you're interested in finding out a little bit more about Con Selmer Connect, do listen to next Monday's podcast. So if you have any virtual band projects or you have any clinics or any news that you'd like me to share on the podcast here at the Global Band Room, you can email me at keat at bandsofireland.com or you can head over to our Facebook page, The Global Band Room Podcast, or to our Facebook group, which is The Global Band Room. So now on with the interview with Key Polan. Uh, Key was introduced to me by John Meehan from the Blue Devils a number of years ago, and I've been really wanting to try and get an opportunity to speak to him and find out a little bit more about his work and his background in drum corps. So I was really delighted to have this opportunity to chat with Key uh, on this interview. 
interview. So I hope you enjoy it. And over to the interview with Key Polan. I'm delighted to be joined by Key Polan. Key, I'm, I'm hoping that I pronounced your name correctly because I seen earlier on in the week you uh, had an interesting post about most people not being able to pronounce your name and you gave a few cryptic clues as to how to do it. So yeah. so, did I get it right? You did. Uh, you, you know, I tell a lot of people, the U throws everybody off, but uh, I'm actually from, uh, 60% of me is English and the rest is Scotch and Irish. Oh, and really? so. Yeah, and so the interesting thing is, is that when we uh, immigrated to the United States, our name was actually spelled P-O-L-A-N-D, and they just misspelled it when they got over here, and so, you know, it was just not one of those things, hey, could you correct this? They were just ready to be here, so, but it's like the country, it's like the country without the D on the end. Right, so Poland. Yeah. Poland. Well, it's, Poland. it's it's the same. It's the same with the Kelly name then as well. I mean, the Kelly name is originally O'Kelly, O'Kelly, and that's why there's a lot of in 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 the US. There's still a lot of people called O'Kelly, but we actually just dropped the O completely oh, right. in, in Ireland. So that, that's where you know most people are Kelly now. But uh, oh, nice. enough about our names. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Keith, you're you're living in Fresno, California. You were saying earlier on. Yeah. Where, whereabouts for anyone that doesn't know? Because I didn't five minutes ago. Whereabouts is Fresno, California? Yeah, it's right in the exact center of the state of California. So uh, the beauty of that is it's it's really close to some pretty major cities. You know, San Francisco, L.A., Las Vegas, any of those. Um, but it's far enough away too. So. Okay, well, and and, and um, just to, to give any people a, a little bit of background before you maybe give 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 your own um, story a little bit. Um, Key is a composer and arranger for many drum corps, marching bands, and some concert band as well. I became aware of uh, Key's work with the uh, twenty eighteen Mandarin's show, um, and uh, and I was introduced to him shortly after that by John Meaton from the Blue Devils then as well. Um, uh, Key, uh, tell me a little bit about your your story. Um, uh, your your music story, your drum corps story, sort of how you uh, how how you came to be doing what you're doing today. Oh, that's a good question. Hopefully, I'll keep it nice and short. But uh, uh, I grew up in East Texas, and so uh, you may hear some of that accent in my voice occasionally. Um, but anyway, uh, I had the pleasure of going to East Texas State University in Commerce, Texas, and that's really where I was introduced to the whole concept of drum corps. I was taken to the Dallas uh, show. And I got to see some pretty amazing groups. And I said, yes, that's what I want to do. And so, so um, you, you knew pretty early that that was. Oh, yeah. It, it only takes one brass section just right. to unleash. <laughs> and you're going, OK, that's what I want to do. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I being in Texas, the closest, really the closest big drum corps was the Skyriders out of Kansas. So that was pretty far away. I said, well, if I'm going to go that far, why don't I audition for, you know, different groups and see what happens. And I just said, I, I want to march Blue Devils. They had won the 82 championship. And I, um, um, both of my roommates and a couple of other people from the university there all auditioned. We all made it. And we, uh, back in those days, you actually had to move in in January. So wow. I, I didn't realize it was that early. Wow. Yeah. So I literally dropped out of college for one semester uh, with with all of my buddies, we drove out to Concord. We did the whole eighty three season, then went back to school and finished our degrees. Amazing. And, and yeah, and so that was uh, that was kind of the the thing. And then in the eighty four season, obviously went to DCI out in Atlanta. Um, but I finished up my schooling and starting in nineteen eighty five, I joined the Skyriders of all people uh, on the visual staff. 
And then 86 through 89, I was with Cavaliers. Uh, I, I was actually hired on the visual staff. My job at the Cavaliers, the initial job, was to clean the, the feet of the rifle line. Oh. And, so, yeah. and, and in 87, I said, you know, I do this music thing as well. <laughs> And so then I became in, involved with uh, on both sides of the coin in 87. So I was literally getting up, lining the field in the morning, doing visual block, doing music block, doing full ensemble, going to the show, uh, warming up the horn line, going to critique, and then every fourth day driving the station wagon to our next location. <laughs> I, I yeah. say it. I say Highway it. Three. That was that was the summer that almost killed me. And then I said, OK, I got I to gotta just do the brass thing. I uh, became the brass caption head in 89. And then I, I stopped um, uh, teaching there and uh, ended up judging for TCI from 1990 all the way through uh, 2002. During that time, it's kind of interesting. I was a judge kind of on the mm -hmm. West Coast, more or less. But I actually did uh, Spirit of Atlanta's music. Um, in 90, uh, 92 and 93. And so um, that, that was kind of an interesting thing. I didn't want to have any kind of conflict of interest. So I said, mm -hmm. you know, I, I talked to John Phillips and said, you know, I, I can certainly do the West Coast thing. I can't do anything big where there'd be competition. Um, and then, uh, you know, Spirit had their problems back then. And so I just continued judging. And after that, I ended up... Uh, you know, submit, I, I'd done so much with the marching band world. I, I actually was, was in Texas teaching at Westfield High School down I, in. The I was actually I was going to I was going to ask. So during this time with drum corps, because there'll be a lot of a lot of my colleagues here in in, in Ireland, you know, and another sort of concert band, brass band, European people that may not really fully understand the drum corps world. Um, right. So during this time that you're doing all of these various different roles at drum corps, what were you working as a music educator? Yes, I mean that, that's why I went to school. Uh, mm -hmm. So during, uh, actually, I got uh, hired at Westfield High School in uh, August of 1985, and it was really interesting. I was the third band director there as a powerhouse uh, band program in, in the Houston area, and they were the first Texas band to attend uh, uh, Bands of America Grand Nationals. Uh, oh well, wow. and, and so that's, I got hired, and they said, "Oh, long like, tradition, obviously." Yeah, yeah, in in three months, we're taking the group to uh, to Indianapolis. Wow. And so I was like, okay. And that's where actually that's where Steve Brubaker was doing the drill. Jeff Feeder was coming in and uh, teching. And that's how I got the connection to the Cavaliers. Uh, okay. So, uh, and then, I, you know, I really loved um, the climate here when I was uh, in Concord, living in Concord when I marched. Uh, so I came out uh, to California. I taught a year at Merced and then got, uh, <laughs> as a young whippersnapper of 25 years old, I uh, got the, um, the head job at Clovis High School. Uh, here in the Central Valley, uh, Clovis is a suburb of the Fresno, of Fresno. And so, uh, you know, I had the head director job there for three years and they opened up a brand new school and I, I opened that school and did that for 12 years. And I still help out at, uh, my, my daughter goes to Clovis North High School. I'm still uh, on staff there, um, kind of doing light teaching all the way through. Your, your, your kids are involved in the activity now as well, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. This yeah. was a really, really tough year because my son, my son had uh, done three years with the Mandarins, and he had just made Santa Clara Vanguard, which I right. spent. You know, we'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> you know, some, some of my other drum corps experiences, um, but that was, uh, you know, so he had just made Vanguard, and they were doing a lot of work on that. My daughter um, made uh, the Mandarins for Scent. Uh, 
she just turned 16. And so, um, you know, so she, she was ready for that. So they're both like, okay, we made drum corps and now we don't get to March this summer. <laughs> oh man, it's tough. I mean, I know there's you know, a few Irish kids that are in the same boat, you know, uh, and it's rare enough, you know, for Irish kids to, to get involved. So it was a big, big thing for them to be, to, to be doing their first year, um, uh, right. watching DCI and, uh, it's not happening, but, but, and, and, and generally speaking, just because we tend to be a little bit older finishing secondary school here, um, mm. yeah, it, 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 you know, they have a, a short window where they might be able to do DCI. And, uh, but, sure. but thankfully DCI have extended that. I think that was a very clever uh, move they've, that they've extended the age out. So they've given them a year. Yeah, I think that's really uh, yeah. a, a smart thing. And of course, you know, my son was going, wow, I'll be able to go to Vanguard, do a year and then age out. And now he's going, now I think I'm going to be a rook out. You know, that's what I did <laughs> in Blue Devils. I got one and done. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, um, so yeah, you, so you're still involved, you, you still help out with the school, but you're not working full-time as a, as a music right. educator anymore. Your, your full-time gig now is composing, arranging, yeah. um, and, and you're doing that for, as well as drum corps, many clients uh, around the US and the world. Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, um, you know, it's kind of interesting as we were talking about the, the, the drum corps uh, situation. I, you know, I have uh, eight drum corps that I that I write for uh, currently. Um, I had nine last year, but Juliana is taking taking a year off. They're looking, they're readjusting, um, and so I had just finished all of the drum corps books. So this is Mandarins, Genesis, Raiders, uh, Arsenal uh, was the uh, Sound Sport group. Had a few in um, the DCA arena which uh, was the fusion core and hurricanes uh the riley raiders uh, alumni corps and uh been working with star united for quite a few years now and we were just getting ready to start digging into what show we were going to work on and boom that's all good so oh, yeah it's it's so difficult um like will most of those cores um and, and we will we, we, I, I will get back into kind of you know that journey that you went through to, sure. to, and to where you are now, but but we just uh, just to, just to, I suppose talk a little bit about what this this season's season being cancelled means to those cores. Do they um will will they continue to do those shows? Will those shows be the shows that they do in twenty twenty one now, or will they go back to the drawing board? Um, you know, currently uh, we are all set to move forward with all of the groups. Um, I, the good news is is that we can really refine and tweak some of the things that we would normally do on the road. Uh, right. We're going to spend a lot of extra time. You know, it's really nice to have a flushed out um, synthetic version of the music uh, with with everything involved in it. So we can really, you know, do the whole virtual side of of producing and editing, you know, just just tweaking the show and then being able to pass that out in November, hopefully. And, mm -hmm. you know, hope we should be on the front side of things um, with the with the design that that's the intent currently obviously that can change we don't know how this thing is going to play out uh quite yet but uh you know if we have to have everybody at 
four to six step intervals apart on a on a show, you know, so <laughs> right. we don't spread this thing. <laughs> You're really going to use that full football field. <laughs> yes, yes, and, and boy, the timing problems are going to be nuts. <laughs> well, what you need to do is you need to you you need to start using Irish Gaelic sports fields. They're double the size of an American football field. So. Oh my! Oh my! <laughs> More space. Um, so tell me, I mean, I had Mark Nichols on from Santa Clara Vanguard uh, a yes. couple of weeks ago. That was that was before my 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 new professional setup that I now have. I was just doing everything via my phone. Um, but uh, we were chatting a little bit. It was before the season was even cancelled. And we were chatting a little bit about, um, obviously, they, they at, at that stage, uh, various camps were being cancelled, but the whole season had been right. cancelled at, at that stage. And we were talking about, a little bit about how a drum corps season normally works for people that, that aren't really aware of how a season would work and uh, and the impact that the the camps being cancelled at the time was going to have right. but for for anyone that hasn't really followed drum corps before or is kind of aware of drum corps but kind of never really been involved in sort of the uh, process of drum corps how does a show go from uh, conception to i suppose that final dci video that we see um uh, it, you know uh, in, in lucas oil if we're lucky enough to actually go to finals how does the drum corps yeah. season, uh, show um, come together like that because obviously you play a big part in making that happen. Yes, yes, yes. What What's interesting is I'm always the first step uh, when when okay. it comes to to producing actual anything for the the drum corps. I mean, obviously we have a lot of uh, meetings. Uh, we we do a lot of face to face meetings. We will do uh, uh, you know conference calls. Uh, Mandarins are very uh, very uh, consistent about doing conference calls every week. And so uh, essentially what happens is, um, you know, I, I do a lot of groups and we all do it just a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I, I, I wrote for Santa Clara Vanguard from 2003 through 2011, and we would uh, do live meetings and you know people would bring in music and things of that nature. And, uh, you know, we would eventually come up with a concept and then put it all together for that. Um, with mandarins, uh, we have some pretty talented people, you know, in terms of, uh, the artistic director, um, Mario Ramirez and Ike Jackson is the program coordinator. And we all work together uh, along with Peter Beckhart, uh, the drill designer. Uh, we all work together at Ayala high school, uh, down in okay. Hills, California. And so, so, so you have a rapport with those. those we do. Already. Okay. We do. And you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's chaotic at times, but it always comes together. It, it's really neat because um, the the best, I think the best part about my job is I get to play both sides of the fence from here, here's a wild idea, you know, all the creativity on, on this side. Let, let's try to put something together and then taking everyone's wild ideas and trying to bring that together. Ike does a really good job of kind of bringing, bringing that, that a little bit more fo- into focus. And then, I'm the guy that actually gets to sit there and and go to uh, pen and paper, so to speak, or icons on a computer screen. Um, I do that first, and then we start to review, and, and Mario will listen and go, no, that's not quite the feeling that I was wanting there. So we do a lot of back and forth just just with the overall design, you know, getting music. Um, this year's Mandarin show, you know, I would say 70% of it was original music. And so... Uh, what we try to do is come up with the visual concepts and the various um, 
events. Uh, basically, drum corps works really well, as does marching band, if you have planned effects all the way through. So if we're able to go through and 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 plan each of those, and then then I start to create music that supports that. It's kind of like doing a mini film score without actually having to be, you know, to the second with with any mm -hmm. kind of a visual event. So um, yeah, that that's a little bit of the process. And then once I get going, you know, uh, we we kind of ping pong some of the things together back and forth um, between myself and the percussion riders. Um, you know, we have new, we have new uh, percussion riders this year uh, with Ben Piles, Andy Filipiak. Uh, I hope I'm saying his <laughs> name right. <laughs> I've actually never asked him. And then, uh, and then of course, you see it written down. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then of course, uh, Brian Harmson does a lot with, with kind of coordinating a lot of that. And he does a lot of the soundscape and electronics. So we, we've, this was our first year working together um, as that staff uh, design team. And it was going really, really well. I had finished, you know, like I said, I had finished the brass book. I had like one little tuba feature I was going to uh, work on um, at that point in the closer. And when all this started to, you know, come un unraveled and, uh, and they had, they had written a lot of that and they, they've got like maybe a little bit in the closer and they are going to push forward on that. They've got some more pressing things, right now with their marching bands. Uh, and so the drum corps thing, I think is gonna be on hold at least for a little while. And then they're gonna finish that out. We, and we should have everything ready, you know, completely ready to go. I, I would guess midsummer for the 2021 season. Right. So. So, so when, it, when, it, when a drum corps, so anyone that, that has watched drum corps at all knows that every show is very, it's very conceptual, you know, from a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a classical music world, we'd say it's programmatic. It, there's, yes. there's a concept, there's a story. Um, and um, I, often, I often wonder, does the music come first or does the concept come first or is it different in every, in every yeah. uh, situation? Um, you I know, know, I know some, I've spoken to some core directors that say the concept comes first and then right. the, the composer kind of works around that idea. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny because maybe 20 years ago, uh, it was about, oh, let's do great music and we'll mm -hmm. do great drill and we'll make this happen. And, um, you know, the, there was a lot of that. And, and that's when music came first, for sure. Um, and it's kind of funny. Uh, a lot of people, you know, I just want a different variety. I call that bad programming at times, you know, <laughs> when you look back at, it's like, oh, how did those pieces connect, you know? Right. Um, but anyway, with uh, the way that we do it now, I, for me to do my job the best I can is I really have to have a clear picture of what the mood of it is and maybe, and maybe the planned effects and, and that, that overall concept. And everything that we do as a as a design team, whether it's you know putting dots down in drill or doing brass or percussion music or any kind of voiceover or sound effects, soundscapes, all of that has to ab absolutely fit inside that umbrella to tell whatever that programmatic story is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, because because there's some amazing stories, and and, and uh, what I, what I do notice is that it does all it does all fit generally, and in, in those in those really good performances, and um, every part of it is um, it connects to, to to everything else. The music connects to the, to, to the visual, the visual connects to um, the color guard, and um, I, I just find that the the way that the whole thing comes together is is fascinating, and and, and I often wonder what comes first, the chicken or the egg, and that's right. Situation. 
you know, uh, because when when you get such a perfect show, and I mean th- that that twenty eighteen Mandarin show was one of my favorite shows that I've yeah. seen in a short time involved in 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 the uh, in the activity, and um, everything was just perfect about that from the from from the music to the um, to, to the uniforms to uh, the show design as like what part of this actually came first was was just you know I've, I've asked myself that question a number of times you know because it's it's so different to 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 other marching arts. Yeah, I mean, well, well, fortunately, um, you know, like I said, Mario Ramirez is such a, a an artistic kind of person, and he he does fantastic. Uh, if you watch the Diamante Indoor Winter Guard, you'll see his the other side of what he does. Okay. But just it just having that whole art artistry there, and then we had to find music either original and and there was were a lot of things that were original in that show, uh, but you know, we ended up. Um, you know, we, we did some arranging of the music there for that. And that, that ended up being a really big, uh, a big part uh, mm-hmm. of what we did. And so, you know, it's kind of interesting when you were uh, talking about this, I was thinking uh, a lot of it does happen almost simultaneously. Um, one of the thing, one of the things that I do um, that maybe a lot of people don't realize is I'm very conscientious of the fee. Obviously, I had that background on the visual side of things, and it's like they need to be able to march this. And so, if, if I just write whatever I want and all that, yeah, you know, the the visual people can figure it out. And mm-hmm. <laughs> Ike Jackson always talks, "Hey, that's for them to worry about." And it's like, but, you know, <laughs> and, and matter of fact, we had this conversation, this exact conversation yesterday. I said, "Yeah, but if we could save X number of minutes." on this phrase uh, in rehearsal time over the course of a summer, we get that extra day of rehearsal that we wanted, you know? Right. And so, um, but I do think about the feet and I try to make the phrases work really well. I also um, put a double bar where I think every drill phrase should be. And again, that's just a recommendation to Peter. Some, you know, some events take, you know, maybe take 48 counts and I may have broken it up into 12s for instance. Right. Okay. But, um, you know, so so there are things that happen kind of simultaneously. I really want to make sure that the um, that the performers, if they are mar- actually doing drilly drill kind of marching, that it's important that that the the feet are capable of doing that sort of a thing. Uh, I say that in last year's opener was at 200 beats a minute and we came in from all, all four corners <laughs> talking about a, ti- a timing nightmare. Hey, if there's one thing that, that the uh, Mandarin slash Ayala team knows how to do, it's how to put things together regardless of where they are on the field. <laughs> well, well, listen, I mean, the kids that are marching um, those shows just seem to be capable of absolutely anything that's put in front of them a lot of the time. So um, I know it's, it, have you ever, have you ever, um, have you ever been part of a process where the concept starts out with one idea, you know, telling a particular fairy tale story or something, and uh, and and the, and 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 the process just changes the show completely to the point where the actual concept has changed, or is the concept so rigid that that process can make change the concept? Oh, th- things will always evolve, uh, yeah. you know, with with different groups and. Uh, I, I I can't think of an example 
uh, right offhand where we started with concept A and then we moved way over here by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because one of the things you don't want to do is go into the first show and say, hey, our concept is this, this, this. And then <laughs> at the end of the season, no, it's it's this over here. Um, but but we have had things that have developed. You know, we had the initial concept and through the design process, things start to evolve. And then once we start in part, we have to remember that part of the design process is getting the performers on the field, uh, marching and playing. And then you've got that layer of color guard and the layer of theatrics and all of that. And that can either uh, elevate the the concept right there, or it can take it into a different direction. And we go, Hey, this is set up perfectly for this kind of um, maybe it's conflict. And we weren't right. intending on it to be, you know, have that kind of a vibe to it. And then, of course, we come back and go, hey, you know, I can do this to the music here and we can really elevate that. Oh, this this event happens right on that count. Let's go in and set that up musically to make sure that the color guard can absolutely deliver that. And it's, it's for anyone that hasn't watched the process. I mean, I suppose I, I, I probably haven't watched the process uh, too closely um, myself. I haven't been part of that process, but um, I, I've got to I've got to witness uh, friends and colleagues now uh, going through that process and seeing a show design um, the change over. And, and it's just it's fascinating. If if you haven't watched that happen before, or watched any of the few, the documentaries that are out there. Please go out and watch it because it's it's a fascinating process and so different to um, the rest of the band world in terms of concert band or um, right uh, or you know symphonic wind band or anything. It's it, it's it's fascinating. And um, Key, if there was um, any young people out there that had an interest in uh, composing or arranging and working with drum corps anywhere in the world, what's your advice then? Where where to get started? Because we may have a few months here where we have some time right. in our hands. <laughs> Well, that's a great question. And, and, you know, um, not to be overly critical, but I know a lot of people expect things instantaneously. Uh, You know, it's like I certainly I mean, I took that one semester off of of college, but I really went in there and uh, just the the theory and orchestration and composition lessons and all of those kind of things that happen on that on that level, as opposed to just, hey, I'm going to buy this uh, uh, music software or or go online there's like you know MuseScore is is free uh and i'm just gonna write some stuff and it's like okay um there are people that just have this natural inherent talent that can do that but i would i would say you know make sure that you study um one of the best educations that i got was was after right when i started doing a lot of arranging i, I arranged for my college uh marching band kind of the last couple of years there and um and I, the whole reason I went to March Blue Devils is because I Wayne Downey's, um, just his charts were so electrifying, and I absolutely love that. And I wanted to go learn from him, right. and um, you know, so I did have that that background. What was that's another great story. It's just a little sidebar. Yeah, but, um, let's, let's let's go there. <laughs> yeah, but when I when I went out there, uh, you know, Wayne Wayne was just the coolest guy in the world and said, absolutely come over there. Cause I wanted to see his scores to like, you know, the, the 1982 scores and the 1980 scores. Pegasus was like one of my favorites one more time, Chuck Korea. And I was just like, Oh man, I want to see these things. And so uh, one of the first things that he had me do, it was like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm basically an intern now. And so he, <laughs> they, they had written um, and one more time, Chuck Korea, they had written this counterline for the mellophones or 
I think it was flugelhorns and French horns back in uh, th that era, but that had never made it into the master score. So he had me just listen to the recording and, and I had to lift that, that written mellophone part. Nice. And, and so that, that was one of the things. And then he said, okay, there's, there's no music for everybody loved loves the blues that's Maynard Ferguson's chart so I actually was over there and this was back in kind of the pre-computer days you know 1983 uh in terms of just the software so I had the the L the LP you know the the record and I would I would literally drop the needle and listen and I'd have the piano and I would lift the whole I lifted the whole thing and then the best part was what I gave uh, Wayne was okay. Here, here it is. This is this is pretty much what Maynard's band was playing, uh, and then I watched him take that and turn it into something that was fantastic for G Bugles, Great. and and that was that was one of the really cool moments. But I, I always say it was baptism by fire. Okay, I, you want to learn how to do this? Lift this chart. So yeah. that that's one of the 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 best that if you want to get started go go lift some things you know i i just finished i had to do a, uh well i can't tell you what the show was but i did a show of a of, 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 of a famous a famous disney work from uh from the 60s that also had a little bit of uh recent revitalization yeah, and okay. so uh but but i was having to listen to to the that's those 60s uh cinematic chords with with the major mm -hmm. jazz influence and trying to lift that note for note for note so i'm still yeah. doing the same thing today so, so what you're doing is you're you're analyzing these great composers then in that, yeah. in that, in that case and just like analyzing style and um, i think that i think that's great i think that's great advice um for for anyone that's out there that may have taken that step already, um, and is frustrated that maybe they can't get someone to march their show or, or right. play their music, what what would you advise for, advise to, to to people like that, that that might want to get their music played or test it out or try yeah. it out? You know uh, that that's a really great question because um, you know I was fortunate that I had my own band and so I was like my very first composition for marching band was in 1999. When I just says, you know, I had a, I have a composition degree. Why don't I just give it a shot? You know, and I did that, and it kind of, it just took off because uh, I was actually able to program those big moments, and it was highly successful. Um, you know, for for people that don't have that opportunity, I think that, you know, uh, the world is a lot smaller, obviously, because of we have this technology and we can communicate. Hey, 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 hey I'm telling we're, you from the west coast of Ireland today. <laughs> Hey, we're both on the West Coast, aren't we? Yeah. So, and so, um, I, I just think it's really nice. I, um, you know, to be able to do what you do and really tweak it and fine tune it and do all that and put out kind of a decent MIDI recording and things like that and just have people listen to it and, and you never know where that where that can lead. Um, I, I was I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story that I. I, I think this uh, guy is brilliant with his designs. A guy named Brent Becker. He does a, you know, a uniform yeah. design over yeah, at yeah, Stanberry. Yeah. Now I remember yeah, he, he's, he, he's done an amazing <laughs> uniform for me. Actually, I, I had the picture hanging on my wall up until very recently. Oh, nice. Well, uh, the beauty is, is I remember. I think it was called Deviant Art or some kind of a, a website like that. Yeah. And he was doing what he would call fantasy uniforms for each of the drum corps. 
And I so he did like a, a practical version, like an updated version. And then he did this fantasy version. And I was just like, oh, my God, these are amazing. Next thing you know, like he, the Stanberry's knocking on his door because it's like he's just putting his his art out yeah. there. And I think that's a lot of it. You have to somehow put it out there. And yeah. again, it's there wasn't a uniform design. It was just his drawing. And so many people reacted positively to it, and uh, including me, I was a fan instantly. And um, no, I think his his story is great, and now like he's this celebrity in in the in the uh, in the uniform world. Um, but yep. he does he does amazing work, and I mean, like you know, um, I suppose it kind of leads gently onto my my, my next question, really, okay. which is you know, I as I as I mentioned a number of times, I'm, I'm a relative newcomer to the to to the activity. And, yes. But even over that time, the uh, style of, of DCI has changed actually quite significantly yes. in those five or six years. I mean, the uniforms is the most visual part of that. That's why I'm using right. that as my segue here. Yes. Um, you know, and that's probably the one that gets most of the um, the, the conversation online, should we say? I'm um, sure. You know, and um, now I because I'm such a newcomer to it, I, I love to see all of this innovation. Um, but but I don't have a preconceived concept of what it is right. um what it what has happened over the last five to six years that has really impacted all the change that's happening in in, in drum corps and as i said I'm, i i i say all of this from a positive standpoint i'm not criticizing it whatsoever because I, I, right. i'm enjoying it but but i think it uh, no, no matter what side of the fence you fall on this it is changing yeah um, and it's definitely very very creative and very very innovative whether you like that or not, yes. um, what has happened across the drum corps world that, that has sparked that? And that it's maybe yeah. an unfair question because it's no, it's, I, you know. I think it's fair. Um, you know, it's it's always uh, interesting. You know, when the, the DCI Congress gets together and you have a lot of different players, um, they they're people that bring proposals, obviously, um, up, and those are voted on and. I just think that, you know, when we went from G Bugles to B flat, for instance, that was, that was a pretty big deal. Cause you know, they're the diehards and, you know, G Bugles definitely have a quality to them. And, you know, uh, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, arguments on both sides of the fence, but, but bottom line there, there had to be a practical aspect of that. The instrument companies don't sell a lot of G Bugles outside of the drum corps activity. Yeah. So what do you do with, with them when you're finished at the end of the year? Yeah. Right. Right. And so, uh, you know, that was kind of a big, a big change, uh, certainly adding amplification uh, to, to help to where we weren't taking like basically uh, ball peen hammers and, and playing on the vibes just so you could hear them. <laughs> and so, um, you know, just to be able to actually create a more musical approach to the front ensemble and actually have that amplified and, and put that in the mix Mm -hmm. You know, I think those are just little evolutions that have happened. I mean, I'm a big fan. I, I know there, there's criticism and I've been criticized by a couple of people, but I'm a trombone player. And when uh, when we were able to uh, to utilize trombones uh, on the field, I, I was like, yes, we're ready to do that. Um, the first base with all, trombone player. With all of the physical challenges that that presents to. Correct. Right. Well, we've been doing it in marching band forever. Right. But um you know, the, the interesting part is the first bass trombone player was actually a, a guy in the Vanguard Cadets. 
we had a trombone quintet and and the first bass trombone player was there you know obviously vanguard uh, when they redid Scheherazade in 2014 uh it was like they they started with 24 trombones on the front sideline that was powerful and i don't care if you're a purist or not to to stand in front of that that drum corps when they unleashed the that trombone section uh that that was amazing mm-hmm. Um, kind of like some of the innovations that I really enjoyed. I mean, Mandarin's, uh, you know, in 2018, it's a, my son was in the in the trombone section. He's a trombone player as well. But um, you know, we marched the entire show with trombones. Yeah, I remember, yeah. and I remember as 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 new as I was to the to to, to um, I mean, I actually 2018 was my first time seeing drum corps live. I'd been kind of getting involved in the activity for a couple of years at that point. Um, but but I but that was actually my first time seeing it seeing it live. So it was like all of these shows that I've been watching for a number of years. All of a sudden seeing this live was amazing but i remember actually seeing the trombones march uh with mandarins and and, and this, uh, seeing for the whole show was it was amazing to see that right right and you know and it was obviously um you know uh, it was on the shoulder of giants peter graham um uh, brass band thing and that he had so many great trombone effects in that piece it was like you know to not have this uh would would be you know it'd, it'd be a, a a disservice to his original arrangement. Obviously, you know, I took it and I took it wherever I did. Uh, but I, I think that was really one of those moments that was fun to put together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the year before we had done a trombone trio up on the front sideline with the, the mandarins uh, during the, the sound of silence. And I just really wanted that, that color, you know, it's just like adding a whole nother, you know, you're just not using primary colors. Yeah, now we can absolutely. blend some, you know, yeah, yeah. And so no, I'm, uh, I'm, all, I'm all for it. I mean, you know, yeah, I, I, I love a lot the, of people uh, aren't. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I can understand that. I mean, for for for, for yeah. years, I was called kind of I was all about the military band uh, style of marching that I kind of grew up in and yeah. uh, took part in, and I kind of um, I was kind of stuck in my own bubble, and then. Uh, uh, John Denovi from DCI kind of introduced me and w- woke me up to what I had been missing out on, and uh, I've been a fan ever since. But um, I, I, I mean, I love the um, the sound of the electric violin last year in Ghostlight. Um, yes, yeah, you know, I think it was really cool. Yeah, and and so so you know, um, I, I want to ask you for your opinion on it, but it just okay. the um, do we, I'm 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 waiting to see what the woodwind question comes up again in the future. You know. You know, it's it's hey, funny. I'm a clarinet sax player, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and it's funny, you know, because I'm all for color palettes and all this mm. kind of stuff. Um, where I kind of draw the line uh, for myself <laughs> with is drum corps is 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 brass and percussion. Obviously, <laughs> electronics you can you can do those kind of things, mm-hmm. but I really like the the fact that there is a difference between drum corps. And marching yeah. band. No, and so do I. I was actually to be quite honest, I I, I read friends about it. Like I was, mm-hmm. I, was messaging, I was messaging friends about it at the time. I think I messaged John Meaton about it then as well. I was like looking forward to seeing the clarinets in. Um, but no, I mean, I th- I think it it it. it it has to maintain a certain uh, sonority to it, yeah. really. Um, and, and you know, if it if it ever passes. You know, the, the next question is, okay, so if we are limited to 154 players, how many clarinets are you going to put on the, the field? And what where are you going to take those from? Is all yeah. of a sudden, are we just going to have like five 
five percussionists on the field, and we have now have a clarinet. I, I think was, was was the suggestion just to go back on it for a second. But was the suggestion this year, so I'm absolutely clear, to use them as soloists? Um, sure. sure I, think, that... I think the argument in the fa in its favor was that right now at the moment we can sample clarinets right. and flutes. Um, yeah. So why not just at least make it more authentic and put a clarinet player on the sideline playing a Benny Goodman solo or something like that? Sure, um, sure. And, and I can, I, I can, I can absolutely understand um, why they <laughs> from from the comment section around the place. I'm sure most people didn't actually fully understand what the what the the, the suggestion was. Right. I, think they were, I think they were thinking, "Well, we're just this is just going to be bands of America." I mean, what's the difference? Right. So, but right. I don't, I don't think, in fairness to the people that put the suggestion forward, I don't think that's what they were looking. For. I think they were looking right, for you're right. yeah. essentially to do, you know, you know, blue devils put in an electric violin. They didn't put in a real violin because it would have broke the rules, but it's an electric violin. Right. Uh, so it, rather than putting an EWI in and having someone play an electronic saxophone, <laughs> right. just make up an actual saxophone. Right. You know? You know, and and again, I, I, I love I love the, the use of color. Um, mm -hmm. But I do like the fact that there's at least a, a bit of a separation yeah. from from what I do in the fall and what I do in the summer. It's mm -hmm. just kind of a different animal. And it all, I'm quite honestly, it just boils down to the excellence of performance, uh, yeah. especially, you know, these, these summer groups. I mean, I, I look at them and I, I can't believe what they're doing. I mean, they're literally running and leaping and dancing while playing incredibly difficult music and it's like i don't know if i ever would have made drum corps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, i find i found out what i was what drum corps was at 30 and 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 you know i was 30 years of age i was a clarinet player living in ireland i mean it was just never going to happen for me you know? <laughs> right 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 yeah. so um so so key obviously this year is um you know it's a big impact now this year um, yes what are the the, the, the you're working with now at the moment um because it's not like any drum corps to sit back and just kind of let the year happen um, right uh, so what know, are they doing to make uh, and to make use and be productive during this time what, what what sort of um what sort of use of time have you seen among the very many 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 cars you work with um you know i that what a great question uh you know everybody's <laughs> taking it differently um you know i know that they're uh you know i mean i hear my son uh playing his his baritone for vanguard that you know doing some things like that i know that at mandarins we're just pushing forward and you know keep keeping the membership um in you know in in terms of just we want to see growth and mm -hmm. there, there is an educational side to this that we want to uh that we want to stress um just so that when we come back uh, it's going to be really strong i know in mandarins um the percentage of people that are wanting to continue and do what you know that we had a set horn line and most of most of that brass section is planning on doing it next year so uh, I, our retention for that is really really high you know obviously 12 months down the road is that going to be the case uh, who knows but um right now i think you know just trying to keep people moving forward i i love all these um these uh multi-track multi-video yeah. I, I just I think that that's just fantastic, and you know, um, I seen him. Um, I just actually recorded my, my first time playing with a drum corps. Uh, I recorded uh, uh, River City Rhythm uh, opened the doors open to 
all around the world and with concert band arrangement. Uh, so I recorded. So my, my, my debut drum corps performance will be uh, aired fairly soon, I think. Oh, nice. <laughs> okay. I, I look forward to seeing that. No, but it's been great. I mean, like, you know, for Irish musicians, I've had the, the opportunity this month to perform with uh, the Polish Virtual Wind Orchestra, with the Lone Star Wind Orchestra down in Texas, yeah. uh, with River City Rhythm. And then we did our own version in Ireland then as well, um, where we had over a thousand musicians and singers record uh, the, the Irish rugby anthem, uh, Ireland's Call, and uh, that's being that's being premiered this day week, actually, around this time next week. So, oh, fantastic. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And, and you know what? I'm, I'm fascinated to see what the uh, various different cores uh, do over the summer now, um, because I'm sure a lot of them will, will throw the doors open to people to get involved in various different ways. Right. There's also a project, I don't know if you've, you've seen it, called Virtual Drum Corps. And it's, it's wide open to, uh, you know, certainly anyone that is that made a drum corps, uh, you know, you, cool. just, you pay a little fee to get the music and all that, and they're putting everything together. Then I found uh, Brian Harmson, you know, who I'd mentioned earlier, he's, mm -hmm. he's part of this process. Cool. And he goes, yeah, you know, you can do it too. I said, oh, really? So I was thinking about it. So my, my son on, you know, baritone, uh, myself on trombone or baritone, oh, my nice. daughter on synthesizer. It'll be the only drum corps that we'll ever be able to perform together in. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's, that's that's a lot of fun. So it, it, it's pretty exciting. So maybe maybe some of your viewers can look. They're about to close down, you know, the the, the deadline here. Uh, but yeah, I I think it's fantastic. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely share. It. I'll, I'll I'll get the link and I'll share it here in the in the uh, in the comments and and hopefully yeah. there'll be a few people because we we do have a you know a little bit of drum corps here in in, in Ireland and we have quite a few musicians that have travelled over and taken part um in in drum corps over the years then as well so um I'll definitely make that share share that. Yeah. Uh, can, where can people find out more about uh, you your work? Maybe reach out to you if they have any questions. Um, what's uh, what's the best place to go? Yeah. Oh, best place is my website, uh, which is www.keypolandmusic.com. Oh. And um, that's, you, you'll be able to go there and you, you, yeah, if you click, yeah, there it is. If you click, the marching band is probably the one you're going to want to click on the most. I, I've got, I'm pushing 200 shows that I've uh, composed um, for, the, for the most part or done arrangements of public domain on that. Yeah. And you'll see like the new shows or whatever, but if you go to large band there, uh, that second uh, blue button uh, over uh, kind of, yes, right there. And you can just scroll through there. You can just see the, the various show concepts that I have there. Some of them you'll see um, and it goes, it goes and goes and goes. Uh, uh, Very yeah. cool. Yeah, so there, there's there's a little bit of something for everybody, but uh, you know that's one way to do that. You can uh, click on my about me, uh, uh, kind of up there um, at the top, and that will that shows kind of a, a brief history, and you can just see like just some of my. It's not that brief. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, I, I should say it's a complete history. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's it, it's actually it's a great website. And I've, I've I've um well before I, I I we had the interview tonight. I've I've visited it a couple of times, and uh, it's it's very well put together. A lot of interesting information, and and just sort of uh, for anyone that has never really sort of looked at a uh, show band or drum corps style shows, I think it's fast. It's a it's a fascinating place to go and look and see sort of the creativity that that is there and the various different sort of concepts that it that a show can can, can have. Um, so, uh, yeah, head over to keep, yeah. keep holding music. Yeah. 
and it's kind of interesting because you know uh obviously there's going to be a little bit of a lull in the drum corps uh composition side of things and so one of the things that i'm really going to push uh if this pandemic you know affects obviously obviously it affected the summer and if it affects the fall, I'm definitely going to open up the whole uh, commission stream for concert band um, cool. for, for sure. And that's one of the areas I'm just going, OK, well, I've got to be a creative in a different way right now. I mean, I've done some of this. It's just not I, I just am so swamped with pageantry type, you know, drum corps and marching band work that I don't get to go to that side. And, um, you know, being a wind ensemble uh, conductor was one of my that's one of my favorite things of all. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, but it's funny, you, you just, you start getting hired and people want to pay you to do this thing. And it's like, okay. I mean, cause I love it too. Yeah. I mean, you, you do. I mean, you, you, you <laughs> kind of have to go where the, where, where the commissions are. Yes. Um, I know a certain, certainly wind band is big here in, in, in Ireland and, and, and so is brass band. So, um, certainly, uh, you know, um, we could have some, uh, some bands here reaching out to you hopefully at some stage. That that would be very cool. You know, we just have to be creative, and I, I don't want to stop doing you know the 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 daily creativity that I that I'm currently working on. I mean, there's a lot I can do to uh, certainly um, update some of the some of the things I've written in the past and and get the recordings a little little better. But uh, yeah, I just want to keep pushing forward, and I'm also wanting to do some things uh, you know inexpensive things for like the beginner you know first and second year band right. kind of kind of things too. Just you know, it's it's cool to be able to be creative with those kind of limitations. Well, well I've got a my, my shout out to my own kids right now at the moment. Uh, they are seven to ten years of age in the band, the Slow Town Band, and they were going to march their first show this year. Oh wow! Wow. <laughs> so that's a it's an interesting kind of getting kids of that age together to try and do some sort of movement because they don't <laughs> know their left foot from their right foot. And, uh, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, and attention spans of about five minutes. So, yeah, um, corralling may, cats. <laughs> yeah, I may, I may, that might be an interesting commission for you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. listen, Keith, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you, and uh, please stay safe, keep well, and yeah. um, and hopefully we will um, uh, cross paths really soon. I'm, I'm looking forward to yeah, I hope uh, so too. we all get back into the same building at some stage. I know, I know. It, it wasn't that long ago. It was February. It really wasn't. Yeah, and that's right. Was, your your boot was just too literally, yeah. yeah, catty corner. And yeah. it's so it's so funny because I I was thinking about that and it's like okay that was February and we had no idea that this was going to happen. It and it, re, it it really feels like um, a long time like 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 a few years ago actually. To I, say I was in San Antonio. Like yes, yes, it does. Okay. Well, listen. Um, we may not see each other this this August, but I, I'm I'm pretty sure that it's uh, going to be pretty soon. I say Aaron Noe from uh, uh, windconductor.org. Uh, he's uh, just after commenting there saying, "Hmm, '60s show, '60s <laughs> <laughs> Disney, and uh, yeah. great show, Keith and King." Yeah. Uh, nice. Thanks, Aaron, and I uh, hope you're keeping well. Actually, if anyone hasn't checked out uh, Aaron's uh, website and 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 shows that he's doing over there, it's windconductor.org. I'm almost certain and okay. uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a great resource for people and some great interviews over there too so Keith, thank you very much and well, uh, have, have a great weekend I know it all feels like the same at, at the moment but, but, yeah. but try, to, try, to, try to have a good weekend well it's great it's great getting to see you again Keith and, and thank you for having me on uh, I think what you're doing is fantastic and, and it is a, a global band room and it's just what, what an amazing yeah. thing and I yeah. just we're all connected that universal we, language of music. 
Yeah, now more than ever. Key, thanks so much and uh, stay safe. All right, too. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Well, a big thank you to Key for coming on to the podcast. Um, and you can hear he's a brilliant guest. You should definitely head over to his website and check out more of what he is doing over there. But without further ado, I wanted to welcome our guest onto the podcast, Jessica Harris. Hi, Jess. How are you? Hello. I'm good. I'm really good. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited to that we're actually at last here on our first segment for this health and music section that we're doing. What a team! What a team! <laughs> what a team! No, it's great to have the the A team back together. Yeah. Um, so look, I'm I'm really excited to to talk about our very first topic here, and I think it's going to be a really good one to to get started. But obviously, the the areas of health and music, there's a lot of different topics that we can be talking about. Mm-hmm. But I think we're going to talk a little bit about the history of it and the history of using music to 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 help people, and and sort of an overview to health and music as well. So. Um, Jessica, yeah, let's 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 get into it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, our first kind of foray is into the healing powers of music, where around ancient Greece. So this is really really interesting. It's kind of our first experience of um, of music for healing, music as therapy, and um, the Greeks believed that music imitates movement of the soul, which is a beautiful um mm. phrase, beautiful language to use. Um, And if you were living um, in ancient Greece, for example, in Sparta and around, I think it was 600 BC, if you were living in Greece and you'd gone to see a doctor, you would also you would also have a musician in the um, in the room. (laughs) I think you pay extra for that nowadays. Well, (laughs) (laughs) musicians are very, very expensive people to have around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the Greeks kind of believed that music had, I suppose, going back to their own uh, mythological beliefs, um, the Greeks believed that music had a kind of a calming effect on what they called, um, we don't use this language anymore, but what they called the manic aspects of the soul. So the kind of um, fast moving parts of our psyche. And the Greeks believed that music could have a specifically calming effect on that. And um, and that also um, it also had a kind of um, a, um, a, a, new, um, a special effect on our emotional responses as well. So that we could use it to calm ourselves in that sense, too. Um, I, I think I'm right in saying I read Stephen Fry's book there recently, um, Mythos. Um, and I think uh, am I right in saying Apollo was actually the god of both music and medicine? I think you're spot on. I think Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think they were they were so closely linked with each other that actually it was the same god um that actually seen overseen both areas, you know? Yeah. Or maybe it may it may be a, a Apollo's son uh, Asclepius, I think. Um yeah. maybe I think he 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 might might be medicine, but but I think it's 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 really interrelated though. Yes, and I think that shows the kind of the hierarchy um in which the ancient Greek culture placed music, which is a beautiful thing as well. Um, so, so, and what's really interesting is now this is a really complex kind of topic to get into it. And I have a beautiful friend from Crete who is also a music therapist. Um, and I think her thesis was around the specific intervals that the Greeks um, believed to hold specific, very specific healing properties. Um, wow. But- yeah, absolutely. So they had, so, so we're talking about mu- musical intervals here. So so musical 
yeah, musical intervals are musical modes. So I think, wow. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I could be wrong on this, but I think it was the Phrygian mode that was specifically um, the Greeks felt would specific, specifically support you in in calming that what they termed the manic part of your psyche. So, but they did also have very sp- specific intervals. Um, which they believed held specific um, responses in in to your in within your emotions and your psyche. So that's it's really hmm. fascinating. And I remember when she went back, and a lot of the libraries, unfortunately, um, where in which all this information was held, had been destroyed some years ago as well. So there was lo- there was lots of kind of information that may have been lost. But yes, there was a whole kind of modal. Uh, modal path and in an interval charts around around the specific healing properties of these intervals and modes yeah i mean that's amazing i mean like you know when we start first teaching um the idea of major chords and minor chords the kids i mean it's the you know the first thing we say to them is well the major chord is the happy chord and the minor chord is the sad chord Uh, so it's amazing that the greeks kind of took that and really just expanded on on that um and you know i mean i think i think we 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 can kind of see the logical conclusion that people could come to that's it and again we go back to like the, the i suppose the beauty of how we respond to music and that actually now we know that it's us who responds to the music not the music that creates the response from us if that makes sense so we everybody responds in very different ways to different intervals and um, so so i think our understanding would have definitely developed but this was what the ancient greeks believed within their mythology within their experiences um and so it's it's really fascinating but mm. um but the, the modern music therapy which we know now was actually actually designed following the second world war which is really interesting and it was um it's, it's very recent so yeah it really is it absolutely really is but again i think the fact that we can go back to the ancient greeks shows that we've been people have been aware of the properties of music for a long mm. time now we and the properties of engaging in music so it just became, I think, more formalized, but it was really um, to support soldiers who were experiencing uh, PTSD, tra- uh, post-traumatic stress disorder following the Second World War. And the nurses and doctors, they noticed real physical and emotional positive responses once they were exposed to um, to music um, in the hospitals and during their treatment. Hmm. Um, it wasn't until 1950 in the States that the National Association was formed. Um, I think um, the UK had, a- and, and and so where did so with, with the with the study of music therapy then was it musician led was it um, physician led like who was lead or, you know I mean that's not yeah. to say that there wasn't doctors out there that were skilled musicians as well but was yeah. it was it was it the performance world that was leading this or was it sort of the the I medical think- world that was leading le- leading it. Yeah, that's such an interesting question. And I believe that what happened, so today we have these lots of different incredible approaches towards music therapy, which kind of focus on um, a specific um, lens of of engaging or in analysing the work that we do. Um, and analyzing the responses that 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 um, that happen within a session. So, for example, Nordoff Robbins um, were a great, an amazing team, um, an incredibly, an incredible team, and their legacy has survived today. Um, 
in a wonderful, wonderful way across the UK um, and in the States. And their model is mostly improvisational, but they they were an incredible team of both a medical and musical background. So there was two, uh, Nordoff and Robbins. Mm. Um, and so that kind of shows that um, from that approach, from that angle, they used both the medical and came together with a musical model. Um, and so you have two kind of perspectives there joining together. There is, for example, you might have a psychoanalytical model. Um, okay, now explain what that is, that means to me, who, yeah. who knows nothing about this. So, because because I, I I often get very confused with, with with various various different terms in this world between psychiatrists yeah. and psychologists, and so psychoanalytical. What would that yeah. What would that be? So, when we're in a session with someone, um, we're constantly responding to the music that someone and how someone is engaging with us and with the music, and the musical output of what's happening, both uh, from our client and from us, and how we're responding. Um, and what a psychoanalyst would do would would really, really carefully listen back to some of that music that happened in the session and analyze it to discover um, even clo- even more closely. They would analyze it um, to discover, I suppose, aspects of, of what was occurring um, during during the session, what was occurring for our clients. Mm. And. Because when we make music together, it tells us a lot about how someone is relating. It's a t- there are so many, um, I suppose, similarities between music and language. And when we're engaging in that way, it can tell us so much about how someone is relating to those around them, what might be, what emotional, um, what, what emotional expression might be happening for them at the moment. And so when a psychoanalyst would look at that very, very carefully and clinically, um uh in a, in an even more in-depth sense mm. taking recordings and and looking at it very closely so that... and does it have to be a specific type of music making to be able to analyze something like that i i asked the question because obviously you know any of us in the band world we're, we're, when we when we go to a band rehearsal we're so sort of taken yeah. up with the activity of making music together as a band um you know, to actually go and analyze how we've actually done that or how the rehearsal went to get went. I mean, could a psychoanalyst walk into a band room, see a band perform together and kind of get a sense of the room? <laughs> you know, it might, might be a, a silly question, but I'm just I'm just wondering, you know, does the does the music performance itself have to be a specific type of performance or can can any type of music performance be psychoanalyzed? <laughs> That's a really interesting question. There are actually kind of two parts to that. So the music mm. that the band would be creating is what we would call pre-composed. So um, basically when we're in a band, we're joining with people together and we're playing music that somebody else has written. Right. Um, when we're, in order for us, I think, to dig deeper and to find out slightly more about how someone is relating to us and, and musically, um, I guess it has to be music that's coming from them. Okay, so so from a band perspective, probably the closest that band musicians kind of come to this is when they maybe start doing a little bit of jazz, um, you know, <laughs> well, the, jazz the, improvisation. Well, the aspects uh, in band which are beautiful and which are um, therapeutic and could be and could be um, analyzed. I'm going to give you another kind of perspective now, which mm. is our training, which is psychodynamic. Um, and community music therapy as well, which looks at how we belong, how music helps us to belong. The, the, mm. the community music therapy aspect brings us more around that, how we belong within the community making music. And the psychodynamic part of it would be like 
like for example if you're going to psychotherapy and they might be able to tell a lot about the dynamics like you, you like you said how it feels being in the room how people are feeling how their how their emotions might be reflected from being together and creating music together so mm. that part of it is very interesting it's just that i suppose psychoanalysts would really be looking very close closely at the music that someone would be creating mm. so for that approach um possibly possibly wouldn't wouldn't be um the most specific situation to analyze but from psychodynamic and from community music therapy perspective um really really interesting mm. yeah and tell, tell me just just a like a, a question that came to mind there do, do psychoanalysts ever go back over com- compositions that that were done many many years ago um, over some of the, the greats and kind of delve into how they were thinking at the time is that possible yeah. is it possible to kind of observe a, a piece of music that beethoven wrote and kind of i know we all i, I you know we we we, we see we we see musicologists doing it all, all the time, but I wonder, is it done from a psychoanalytical point, standpoint? That's another, such an interesting question. I have a feeling we could talk about this for a long time. <laughs> but I think what, psycho, what psychoanalysts, uh, um, music, music therapy, psych, in it from a psychological, from a psychoanalyst perspective, they would look very closely about what changes in the music, like reflecting on how the musician is, how our client is interacting with, the therapist hmm. so it is so it would be so interesting to look from an in-depth perspective on the music of the greats um but really a psychoanalyst might notice a slight um um aspects of the interaction and any changes that might be occurring and how they might be reflecting something that's changing emotionally so the composition without the context of what's happening in the room is sort of um it's it's lacking a lot of the information that's needed is that exactly. is that sort of that's yeah. kind of the therapeutic angle mm. how is this affecting someone what what change is happening here and what is what is emotionally occurring um yeah so i i don't know if that if that kind of clarifies that but i think it would be so i mean it's a hundred percent so interesting yeah when you think of some of the great composers and um i suppose some of the experiences they they had in their lives and it would be incredible and i i'm sure there are many many musicologists who've done this and look mm. back through that lens of their you know and um beethoven is one example i'm thinking of instantly mm-hmm. and, um and his experience of losing his hearing and what a powerful experience that must have been for him and what a what a traumatic one as well right yeah so, so um, the you you were talking about the sort of the evidence around music therapy and depression then as well. Um, yeah. So, so obviously we're we're sort of in a we're living in a world where the the act of music making is become becoming incredibly difficult right now at the moment, and certainly you know ter- music therapy sessions are almost impossible at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, how um, to make this relevant to people that are at home now at the moment? Um, how can music therapy help people in their own lives right now at the moment? Is it, is it something that can be used? Is it something that can be self-taught? Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, the thing is that I suppose there are two ways of engaging um, with music in our lives. And one is, um, one is, is active, is, is actively creating music and the other is listening to music. So um yeah, so uh, passive and active, I suppose. Pa- more passive would be listening and and um, 
and noticing our responses to how to how we're listening to music, how we're using music in our listening. And then the active would be engaging in actually creative music. But um, and then we also, of course, have our physical responses to music and our emotional responses to music, which are on kind of two uh, again on two levels. So there's, there's sort of a midpoint between those two as well. Uh, just maybe ask you a little bit about this as well, where they, where, yeah. where people are talking a little bit more lately about active listening. Mm. Um, so we've become a, an incredibly passive listening audience in, in, in recent years, particularly because we've become so visual and screens and, you know, music is all around us, of course, yeah. but it's usually used as a soundtrack for a movie to engage with our emotions. But yeah. we really don't actively listen. I mean, I, I'm, I'm guilty of this myself. I don't sit down and listen to a piece of music and just remove all other senses out and just actively listen to that. And if I do, I tend to wander, you know, this. Yeah. it's almost like, you know, trying to do meditation sometimes is bringing my focus back to the music. It's, it's very difficult to do. Um, you know, so I just is active listening is is definitely something that I would encourage people to do as much as possible. That's really, 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 absolutely. And I suppose when I use the the phrase phrase passive, I mean either we're creating or we're or we're responding through our listening. Um, mm-hmm. so passive is possibly not the right word because even though um we can be listening, we can still have many responses to that music and have many. Um, and our many physiological and emotional responses mm-hmm. to to engaging in listening, as you said, actively to that music. Um, so if we look at, I suppose, the physiological um, responses to music. So we know that music um, helps us to slow our breathing, slow our heart rate. Um, I think there's an article by um, Kemper and Danhauer, I think it is. It's called Music as Therapy, but there are many articles around this topic um and um it also boosts our dopamine which is the which is the um the drug in our system that helps us to to know that something is is good you know that gives us mm-hmm. gives us that good happy feeling um yeah so so we know that there's those those physiological elements to when we listen to music and again i'm just going to say as well just to stress mm. that um our musical preferences it's it's us who has the response to the music it's it's not the music that incurs the response and that's difficult too for us because we all have our favorite pieces of music we can't imagine not being able to connect with people sometimes through those particular pieces of music but we all might have very different responses to different types of music and and our responses are our own and so Mm -hmm. for these responses might be to um to a piece of music that we love that is our favorite piece of music so we got the kind of the the um, response on, a, on an aesthetic level, an aesthetic experience. And we can all respond in that sense to music. Um, you know, it, 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 we, we sense the meaning in the music and it gives us great pleasure listening to it. And, and we have these physiological responses. But the same piece of music will not cause the same responses for everybody. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and also, if you think about how we listen to music in our lifetime as well, I mean, I'm sure... There's so much music that I listened to when I was a teenager. I think actually the music that we listen to when we're a teenager really stays with us because it's kind of that identity forming. Music. Yeah, I, I heard a report there recently uh, that uh, we stop listening or stop engaging with new types of music at around the age of 36. I think the report said it was very specific at 36 and I turned 36 this year. So I was like, oh, man. 
Um, <laughs> I'd like to think that I'm still capable of enjoying new things. But you are right. I mean, I you know, I think the the music that we engage with as teenagers um, tends to tends to stick. But I mean, I first started really delving into classical music and band music when I was in my teen teen years, and it stuck with me for the rest of my life. Absolutely, and you're someone who's going to be exposed to new pieces and new music a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, through your through your life so i would i would i would say that that probably doesn't apply to you <laughs> <laughs> well listen um the, the, it's a, it, it's it's brilliant to be able to have this segment and explore some of these ideas on a, on a weekly basis i mean we've we've had a, re- a really sort of good overview as to what music therapy is now i'm really looking forward to getting stuck into how people can actually make that applicable to their own lives to their own situations and their own communities right now at the moment um so it's exciting to have this new segment oh thank you so much i'm excited too i mean there was a lot more that could have come from our discussion today and i'm really hoping to expand it next time as was just just to say that um we can also have a look because i i guess we were looking a little bit more about the history of music and healing today but but um i suppose what music therapy is and what it and how it works is a, is a slightly different um different topic but mm-hmm. i'm so looking forward to exploring all these things in the future and we can we can have a look about um and look more even next week into into how um our responses to music can affect us and and um how our i suppose our our engaging with music can um can support us through depression or anxiety um so i'd love to look at that further next week brilliant jess thank you so much thank you so much Keith. see you next week Great to be back in action you take care of yourself bye <laughs> bye bye Well, again, a huge thank you to everyone who has downloaded and listened to the podcast and has been sharing all of the posts and all of the news from the various different projects that we're taking part in. Um, If you'd like to find out more about any of the guests that we have on the podcast, either Key or Jess, you can head over to the website, which is bandsofireland.com forward slash the global band room and we're also on facebook we have the facebook page which is the global band room podcast we also have the facebook group which is the global band room and we're also on instagram at the global band room as well so stay safe stay well and i'll see you next time back in the band room